Hello, and welcome to the Yoga of Resilience podcast presented by Vera Bhava Yoga. I'm your host, Kelly Golden, here to guide you in an exploration of yoga and its relationship to resilience. I'm a writer, yoga teacher, dedicated practitioner, and exhaustive thinker. And I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. This podcast follows my exploration of Sri Vidya Tantra and its direct application to our lives in all situations on and off the mat. Through contemplation, conversation, wandering, and experience, we unpack the ways in which resilience is synonymous with the path and practice of yoga and the ways that both practices support us in showing up whole and alive in the midst of hardship and challenge. Most of these conversations were recorded live with current Virabhava Yoga students, and you can find yoga asana practices affiliated with each episode on our website, virabhavayoga.com. These practices and conversations are guideposts on the path to living a resilient life. If you would like to explore with us more deeply, check out our programs at virabhavayoga.com and practice with our teachers online and in your area. Hi, yogis. Welcome to the last episode of season one of the Yoga of Resilience podcast. In today's episode, we delve into the skill and art of thinking critically. We discuss the markers of critical thought avoidance and explore ways that critical thinking can actually expand and grow our relationship with ourselves and the world. As always, I dare you to expand your ideas of what you thought you knew and challenge you to allow your questions to stretch your boundaries. I hope you enjoy and Be sure to subscribe to the Yoga of Resilience podcast wherever you find your podcasts so you don't miss out when we release season two. You can also join our mailing list at virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast so you can keep up on all of our updates and meanderings. I really hope this episode makes you think. Enjoy. Um... Today we're going to talk about the art of critical thought. I'm glad you're all here. I hope I don't make you too angry. I never ever promise not to make you angry, just FYI. Um, if, I, if I frustrate you with the things I say, I feel like I'm actually doing my job well because it's bumped up against things that maybe are difficult to think about or talk about. So um, I would like, if you, if you will uh, humor me, I'd like to start with the meditation. Does that feel okay with you guys? Yeah, the ones of you I can see seem like okay. If you're driving, of course, please do not stop and close your eyes. That's insane. It's not very thoughtful to the other people. <laughs> but one of the things that can happen, and, and in a tantric meditation, meditation is done sitting upright. It's done with a, a straight spine. It's done with all of these little um nuance of of what separates meditation from relaxation um things you'll learn about in your tantric yoga meditation teacher training um but you can also move yourself into a somewhat meditative mindset um while still engaged with your life and your activity so if you have the ability and the space and the time right now to sit tall and close your eyes i will invite you into that if you don't, try to just shift into presence and see if even in the midst of your activity, if you can tap in uh, to that meditative um, energy. Yeah. So wherever you are, we're going to start by tuning into our breath. If you have the ability to close your eyes and... Pay attention to your spine. I do encourage crown of the head to the sky, tailbone slightly in and up towards the navel and sitting bones anchored to the floor. And eyes closed. So simply watch your breath. I know that there's a lot of approaches 
to yoga and meditation that ask you to start shaping or shifting your breath, but for now I would just like you to become aware of it. Your breath is in direct relationship with the air, the gases that allow respiration, transpiration, the atmosphere that sustains us. The breath is the way we take in that relationship and make it ours, make it personal. And then also, it's the way we give it back. So every exhale returns what is waste to us but food to other things. Back out into the environment, into the atmosphere, into our world. So just watch it. You don't have to do anything exceptional. And so we're going to tune into the gates of our senses. So the five senses or the gates of the senses uh, from a yogic perspective are the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, and the skin. So as if these five senses are like an antenna, stretch your perception of sight, of sound, of smell, of taste, of feeling, as far as you can reach. Can you reach your radar, your antenna of perception to extend beyond the room that you occupy? Maybe even the whole of the building can you stretch it out maybe to the end of your block? Maybe to the border of your neighborhood or even the town. Feeling that this breath that you breathe begins at the very farthest reaches of what you can perceive. This breath that you breathe begins at the very edges of our atmosphere, at the very tips of the leaves of the trees, at the very depths of the oceans. Become aware of what the sense of sight perceives, even with eyes closed. Become aware of what you can hear, of what you can smell, of what you can taste, of what you can feel for as far as you can reach your perception. And then begin to condense that expanded state to become only aware, still through the gates of the five senses, of what you perceive in the four walls in which you sit. So within your room, within this space that you occupy, can you hone or refine your perception to stay close in? To hear just the sounds of the room, to smell just the scent of your immediate space to see beyond the eyelids, maybe the light that penetrates through the windows or the burning candle or the lamp. Hear the sounds of the air moving in your space. Maybe there's other sounds generated in this condensed presence that you occupy.
Is there a taste on the air? The yogis say that awakening has a flavor. Now one more step. If it's helpful, you can follow your breath. But follow the feeling of your breath through your nostrils and into your body. So condense in a little bit more until your awareness, the five senses, are looking inward. What do you see inside? Can you hear the sound of your own breath within your body? Maybe you can hear the beat of your own heart. Can you taste the sweetness of your own flavor? Can you deepen the sense of feeling to be contained within the boundary of your skin? And be aware. Not with the attempt to change anything, not with a desire to make anything better, but just with the recognition that you are what you are inside, as much as you are what you are relative to the outside world. Take another breath or two, immersed in this existence within yourself. And then gently follow the breath back out through the nostrils and return to you in relationship with what's around you. Remember the space that you're in. Start to reopen your senses. And then you can gently lower your head and if the eyes were closed, you can blink them back open and come back. So that meditation is called Antakarna. And in some ways it's got a very specific um, structure, a very specific desired outcome. It's not, and, and the outcome of meditation could be whatever you want it to be, honestly. Um, but the purpose of that meditation is to connect you from this identified self in relationship with the world to the self that is inside of you (laughs) that might not have to be in direct relationship with whatever's around you. So that part of you that often we struggle even ourselves to identify and connect to, that part of us that is us without the input of what we're supposed to be or what others think we are, right? So the question I'll ask you relative to that experience of meditating, whether your eyes were closed or open, is... What part of you was doing the doing? What part of you was doing, was, was watching, was listening, was feeling, was tasting, was smelling? And then what part of you was watching what you were doing? Right. So, so when we start to move into these places of, of deeper understanding, we start to acknowledge that there is a part of us that's doing the thing and there's a part of us that's always and, and, and never-endingly, perpetually observing the part of us that's doing the thing. Right? And these, two, these aren't two separate things. We're not splitting our personality. These are one thing existing with two skill sets simultaneously. And and when we start to engage with the watcher and the doer, what in the Bhagavad Gita they call the knower of the field and the knower of the field, there's actually three. Because then there's the one that created the field. Um, When we start to recognize that these two things are happening in perpetuity and simultaneously all the time, then we start to empower ourselves to become curious about what, which part of ourself right now is running the show? Is it the necessary part to run the show? Can we be questioning 
the part of ourself that's running the show. Is this show even something that we want to be a part of? Right? Do we want to change our character? Do we want to change our approach? Do we want to change um, how we engage? Um, and this is this recognition, this understanding is is kind of the precipice into understanding how the yogis view critical thought. Um, I'm a huge fan of thinking critical, critically. Um, and it took me a long time to get there. So the first thing I want to say is uh, it's not easy at first. And I want to hold a lot of space as I start to talk about this for it to bump up against the edges of what you know or what you've been taught or the way that you view yourself. Because when we start to think critically, the very first thing we have to do is we have to question all the things we think are right. We have to question all the things, all the things that we believe or that we've been told to believe. And we don't have to question them as wrong or right. We, the art of critical thought is questioning why we believe them in the first place. Right? So uh, if you've done our advanced level training our 300 hour training none of this is going to be terribly new to you but i do hope i'm contextualizing it in a new way um, based on how the world is moving currently but questioning ourselves and becoming infinitely curious about ourselves is very threatening to who we perceive that we are so most of us most of the time uh, avoid it at all cost. Have you noticed? Anybody in an intimate relationship? Anybody in a very, very clean and clear mirror of your own behavior? And every time that behavior is mirrored to you by the person that is closest to you, do you feel really open and receptive to receiving that reflection? No. <laughs> My guess is even the most awakened among the humans that walk the the world right now are, are not super receptive of their partner being like, you always do this wrong, you know, or whatever. But when we can start to hear those pokes and prods as invitations to question, um, then we're starting to dance in the space of thinking critically. And the reason that thinking critically is hard is it feels really personal. And often, especially in our current uh, North American culture, uh, we've been taught to hear it as very judgmental. So someone questions you or you question or you are called to question yourself and it feels like judgment rather than curiosity. And, and I believe that that is just a, a, a lack of refinement of the process of critical thinking. I believe that we have the power and capacity and intelligence and ability to refine our understanding of critical thought to remove those resistances to judgment. And once we do that, what we may find, what I pray that we will find, what I chant about every day, is that what we will find is that we're way more alike than we are different. We're way more connected than we are separate. We're way more together than we are apart. And that's what yoga teaches, right? That's the teachings of this practice that, that has been reduced to some sort of idea of unification, but is more like inclusion. We're all yoked together. We're all tied together into one big knot. And the all of us is not just the two-legged one and the five-fingered ones. It's everything. And when we realize through that daring act of thinking and questioning that we're all connected, then it makes us more responsible and more thoughtful about how we choose to act. Right? It's really not complicated. Matter of fact, it might be so simple that it seems absurd. Uh, so let's see. Let's see what we can come up with. Learning to be aware that we are both the doer and the watcher is a practice that opens space to see a wider perspective inside each and every one of us individually and all around us. 
if we can learn that our perspective is not the perspective, if we can start watching uh, our own personal shaping of our own personal perspective and start to understand how we do that, then we can open the door. It's like a doorway to empathy. We can open the door to how everyone else is also doing that, but not just like us. The goal of Tantra, the goal of yoga is not for us all to be the same. Matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. The goal of yoga is to recognize that we are all connected in our differences, that we are all beautiful in the ways that we are not alike. But we can all understand those ways for each other, with each other, as each other. In my direct experience of it, because I used to be very uh, allergic to criticism. You know what? You know what I mean? Break out in hives and cold sweats, and and it's interesting because I'm in a position, as you know, to receive criticism. I teach people, and. I teach people what I know, which is definitely not uh, what all there is to know. I don't even think it's a fraction of all there is to know. But I teach people what I've learned for myself. And so what I teach is very personal to me. Because I do my best to only bring to the table what I've had direct experience with and then share the experiences I've had. So when critique comes or criticism comes, it often feels personal. Because it is. So I would invite you to get over that being personal as a problem. The art of critical thought means that we recognize it's all personal and we're all in it together. Why in the world would we want to take our person out of the story? Can we yoke the reflection to the opportunity to grow, to refine, to expand? Seems simple. You know it's hard. Anybody work for another person? Ugh. Anybody get negative feedback from your boss? You know it's hard. It's hard to receive anyone's reflection of you that that is less than perfect because in our minds we have a myth that perfection is the only thing worthy of love and trust. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. If we could break that myth down through thinking, I mean, when I say that out loud, don't you question it? You're only worthy of love and trust if you're perfect. That right there is a great start to thinking critically. Is that true? Anybody parent and have tiny little people or have tiny little people in your lives? I mean, I get, they don't even have to be that tiny. My people are like adult size. I get that, you know, they come out and they're so precious and they have five fingers or ten fingers and ten toes. And then the first thing they do is crap all over the place and cry all the time. And, and they literally want to eat you alive. Yet somehow we run this, we spin this story of perfection. Oh, but they're so perfect. I mean, this is what I'll say. And I've said it before. Yes, they are a freaking miracle that we can make such a complex system. It's so miraculous, but it is so far from perfect. Yet we do not withdraw our love from these tiny little innocent and helpless creatures because they can't get everything right. So let's be, let's think about how we feel and exist inside of ourselves when we perceive that we're not worthy of love if we're not perfect. Let's question where that idea has come from. Let's inquire about how we've internalized it in such a way that it is impacting every relationship that we have, 
both really close in and our relationship with our planet, our relationship with uh, other people in other countries, right? Everywhere. This is the game. This is the art of thinking critically, pulling things way in close and questioning them almost exhaustively. And then giving that same curiosity, that same wonder to things way far away, right? Can we, can we become curious about the trees in the forest and the forest itself? When we can do that, critical thought creates space for possibility rather than reduction. So just to be clear, classical yoga is about reducing Neti, neti, less, less, less until you get to the core, true essence of who you are. But Tantra is about expanding. Tantra is about more and more and more. The goal is not to reduce it down to its elements. The goal is to expand it to include everything as miraculous, as sacred, as worthy. Right? So this, this understanding of critical thought, from a tantric perspective, creates space for more. It doesn't reduce to less. So that is a habit that we have to break when we're artful with critical thinking. When we have the capacity to question our own, we can start really close in, our own beliefs and understandings our own family of origin, value systems, our own ideas, and then we can stretch all that out. We can extrapolate to out and out and out when we can question uh, the beliefs and value systems of uh, our country, uh, our state, um, our time, our era, right? When we can stretch out and out and out, then we're in this game of building capacity for more. When you notice if someone questions you, your immediate reaction is resistance. We're in, the, we're in the space of reduction. We're in the, that is our indicator light for low capacity. And Tantra is about building capacity. It's not about reducing it. You with me? Okay. So when we have the capacity to question everything... We often find there is more available than we realized. Has this happened to you? I noticed that uh, I was reading a lot of, of stuff um, last month about uh, LBGTQ rights and people's stories, right? And people were trying to exist within a box of existence that they were told was right. And it wasn't until they started questioning, why doesn't this feel good to me? Who am I? Right? Why is that right? It wasn't until they started questioning that the discovery of the truth of who they are was available to them. And it's that process of questioning that is the essence of critical thought. Right? In my personal research which has been going on for a little over a year now and will come out at some point as a book. So they tell me. Um, in my personal research, what I'm discovering is not only is more the essence of Tantra, it's also the essence of resilience. When we are living resilient lives, we are daring not to reduce things to the lowest common denominator or to the most controllable thing. We are daring to make space for the unexpected, for new discovery, for possibilities that were previously not considered. And that is the essence of what it means to be resilient. That we're not reducing to a singularity anything and instead we're expanding into a multiplicity everything. And, and that means not just the good, y'all. I know that we're really attached as a, as a culture specifically, but 
maybe just as a as a human race, we're really attached to only the good. And if we don't, if it doesn't feel good and it doesn't look good and it doesn't seem good or right or whatever, then we reject anything that might fall into the realm, into the dichotomy of bad or wrong. And in that rejection, in that desire to reduce, we miss so much. The art of critical thought gives us the opportunity to stay open to that more that's unavailable when we reduce. It keeps us resilient. It keeps us buoyant. I think we talked about that last time. And (laughs) it requires us to be courageous. Because every time you do it, it's a risk. Not a little risk. A ginormous risk. Every time. Because you risk your own identity falling apart. You risk the things that you've committed to crumbling. You risk... Um, being excluded or ousted from your communities. It's, it's, a, it's the epitome of risk. And I think it's worth it. But that's just me. You don't have to. Daring to question our convictions is a rebellious process. You know me. I'm a, I'm a rebel. It's a rebellious process that often leads to unexpected discovery and... This might be the most important part relative to yoga. It allows us to be with what is fully and without demand or requirement. Finding that trust and truth don't have to be controlled. They don't have to meet some sort of baseline of requirement in order to be available. That's when the world gets super juicy. That's when everything starts to change. When trust isn't earned, it just is. That's when everything starts to shift. So how do you know when you aren't practicing critical thought? You probably already know this, but I'm going to tell you. Because you're listening. This is why you're here. Please feel free in the chat to add any other ways that you think that we can be aware when we're not practicing it. So how do you know when you're not practicing critical thought? Number one, you're unwilling to question your current modes of understanding. When you are unwilling to question. So Tantra, one of, one of my Tantric teachers, he says that Tantra is the art of the question. It's the art of the question that never, ever seeks an answer. It only seeks to deepen the question, right? So when we start getting hungry for answers, and we all do it, especially the pitta among you, I know who you are. You know who you are. We all get hungry for answers, and we just want to wrap it up in a tiny little bow and put a period at the end of the sentence and close the chapter on it and just be done and everything be great, and let's move on, please, already. Some of you have apparently neck and shoulder pain and head pain because of this. It's okay. It's all right. I love you still. Right? So when you're unwilling to question your current modes of understanding, then you are not practicing the art of critical thought. Number two, when you are resistant to change or things that are different, then you are not practicing the art of critical thought. So this is a radical shift. Critical thought isn't criticizing everything to get everything to fit into your box of how things should be. It's daring to question everything so there's space for difference. It's daring to tug at the edges of your resistance so there's space for more possibility. Number three. This is my favorite one. It happens in my house on a daily basis, mostly by me. When you refuse, when you aren't practicing the art of critical thought, you cannot tolerate being wrong. You refuse to be wrong. I feel like that's all I need to say about that. Okay. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. When somebody says to you, why are you doing that? And then everything is about justifying the rightness of why you are doing it. You are out of critical thought and into control and demand. 
right? You're into these reduction possibilities. The fourth one, I only have four. I feel like there's a whole lot more, but this is my fourth one. I'm going to stop there because I want to make a lot of time for Kelsey. Uh, the fourth one is the fear of being ousted or excluded. And, and I think that this might be in our code um, for so long, and I don't know if it's untrue now or if it remains to be true. That's out of my scope of competency. But for so long, we depended on each other. We depended on each other for survival and we depended on each other for understanding and we depended on each other for love. We depended on each other to keep humanity going. And so the possibility of questioning the beliefs and the understandings and the structures of the people on whom we depended was absolutely out of the question. And that's a good way it might be the most powerful way that critical thought and its applications are being avoided in our current world. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by amazing teachers, um, collaborators, fellow students, um, really inspiring people that help me to understand that sovereignty is necessary for community and daring to be sovereign which means daring to question ourselves even if and daring to question our communities even if we feel completely committed to these communities or to our own personal belief systems daring to question actually just makes us uh, more sovereign more empowered, more trustworthy, more trusting. It doesn't isolate us. It doesn't oust us. And if it does oust us, and we say this a lot in our trainings, if you are, if people, as you come to an awareness of the truth of who you are, if the people that are in your life don't like you anymore, that might be a gift. If you've been living a lie or performing who you are out of integrity with the truth of who you are, and those people love that person, those people not wanting to be around you anymore might not be a problem. It might feel scary, and it might feel lonely, and it might feel overwhelming, but it might not be a problem. Right? Because, as we say, always, you're the point. You're worth it. The more you you can be, the more that you will attract the people that appreciate the you that you are. And those are the people that you want in your communities. Right? Story after story after story. For months I've been reading about this. People finally taking ownership of the truth of who they are, even though it seems so far out of the scope of what will be accepted or lovable. And then finding their people in such a way that their lives become not just survivable, but joyful. And I want to say that our lives can be joyful even in the midst, at the depths of our suffering. Joy is still available. So dare to be who you are. And that is where you will find, where you will source joy. Dare to question every time it doesn't feel right. I had an amazing, very close friend of mine tell me a couple of nights ago, at what point did we forget that a mental health crisis is actually informative? Why are we continually trying to medicate our crises into numbness and submission as opposed to seeing these crises as informing us that we're out of integrity with ourselves. As, as opposed to seeing that these, these difficulties, this anxiety, this depression, this overwhelm is actually telling us, check in. 
Start questioning, inquiring, becoming curious about what is working and what's not working rather than just continually try to keep moving in a system that doesn't work for you. Yeah, are you with me? This is why tantrics are dangerous. This is why when you go to India, they're not, they're considered to be, it's witchcraft stuff. Because sovereignty is threatening. Inside a system, here I go, hopping on my soapbox. This is why some of you are here. Sorry, this is not on my notes. But sovereignty is threatening to people that just want to reduce and control. And Tantra is about empowering the more. So, of course, Tantra is threatening. And I would ask you to think about why that's bad. If you think it's bad to be threatening, there's a great jumping off point for the art of critical thought. Yeah? Okay. So, critical thought and definition is the art of inquiring about our own identity our own perspective, and our own beliefs that can lead us to discovering more than what we previously knew. And here's maybe the most dangerous. It can also lead us to change our minds. A couple of years ago, several years ago, I'm still living in California. I listened to an NPR show on a drive home uh, at sunset, and they were talking about... um, The most important thing for a leader is for them to be able to learn and change their mind. And paradoxically, ironically, not sure which, ironically, I am sure which, uh, it's the thing that we trust the least in our politicians. Think about that. The best leaders are the leaders that have the capacity to learn from their mistakes, to recognize when they're wrong, and to change their mind as they learn more, and to grow their capacity to learn more. And the politicians in this country, at least, are damned if they change their mind. Crazy, huh? Sounds like a systems process to me, a systems problem to me. Uh, I dare you to think critically about it. I dare you to write blogs about it and hold up signs about it and shout really loud about it. Wear t-shirts about it. Do whatever you got to do. All right. Um, The other interesting thing about critical thought is sometimes it actually confirms what we knew deeply. I think once you start to peel away the bullshit, once you start to get into that place where you're not feeling so... uh, resistant to the critique or or the question, then what happens is critical thought starts to lead you to the depth of what's real for you. It starts to anchor you into the foundation of your personal truth. And then as you anchor more deeply into the foundation of your personal truth, you feel less compelled to change anyone else's mind about their personal truth. Because instead of fighting against things, you start fighting for things. Wow. That is really different. That is the fight that leads to more. That's not the fight that reduces and controls. That's the Virabhava that this whole game's about. That's what you're wearing on your chest when you go out in the world and say Virabhava Yoga. You're fighting for... You're standing up in courage and rebelliousness, not against things, but for things, for the truth of who you are, for the more. Yeah? Daring to question what we know leads to, can lead if you dare and do it long enough. And, and, and side note, and anybody on, anybody that's done our 300 hour can, Oh, wow. Especially some of you that are here today uh, can vouch for this truth. Daring to question what you thought you knew will rock your world. And the outcomes can look like this. 
It can change your perspective on life completely. It can increase empathy for yourself and for other people. It can allow you to become more curious than afraid. And what that looks like is you're not so worried all the time. You're not so anxious all the time. Thanks, Courtney. Courtney says 100%. (laughs) It allows you to become more courageous, to take more risks, to be more daring, because you trust yourself innately. The last one is that. Daring to question what you know results in trust and sovereignty. It results in power that's sourced from inside of you and is not dependent upon the world going your way. And that freedom from that dependency that the world has to go your way for you to be empowered, for you to do what you need to do, that, my friends, is resilience. Period. So... In closing, this has been exciting. I haven't done this in a while. I needed it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> My world has been very small for the last few months, and uh, it feels good to see your faces from all over the place and to know that some of you already know this. I'm just preaching to the choir um, on a lot of this material, but it's always worthy of a reminder. Um, that this power is our power, the power to question, the power to become curious, the power to um, dare, to not have to be right all the time, to not have to be perfect. That's our power. And it's not going to oppress anyone. Right? There is power that doesn't oppress And I'm really into, I've been in a debate about this for over a year. I'm really into speaking power to truth. Yeah. Let's plug our truth into the socket of power and learn that some some power, true power, supports everyone. Yeah. Um, We have really specific tools to do this in Tantra. Primarily the tools of vichara, everybody's favorite word, and viveka. So vichara is a word that essentially means self-inquiry, and viveka um, means discernment or discrimination. And we spend six exhausting, soul-ripping Uh, disemboweling months in the 300-hour program doing just this, and you come out the other side glowing like so many people on the call here. Um, So if you're interested in in moving through that process, um, a couple of things I'll say about it is, first, you really need the tools that you get in a 200-hour program. To jump from here into that process of of self-inquiry and... discernment without the tools of embodiment and breath and meditation it's hard it's hard it's it's too much in my opinion there's a reason that these things move um in order even if that order is somewhat chaotic yeah you don't know more until you don't know less so start with your 200 hour program and learn how to be embodied with this work Learn how to stay embodied, how to sustain embodiment, even when your world isn't going your way. And then that gives you everything you need to know to learn how to start questioning it. It really is that simple. No joke. It's not, it's not a secret. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. It really is that simple. It's not easy. That would be a lie. It's not easy. I did try to emphasize the lack of ease with the whole disemboweling metaphor. But it is that simple. So if you're interested, join us. Um, To to the best of my ability, I'm not going to go far. uh, But I am going to take a hiatus on these resilience calls for the next few months so that I can be in the highest level of service and practice that I can be um, in my personal life and with my family. 
um, feels right. We're in alignment with all of that here, and we're going to keep doing our work. Show up for Kelsey's asana practice now and for her workshops that she's going to be doing in the future, and then keep your eye out. I will pop in and out when I can. Um, definitely, most likely, most likely definitely, um, I'm going to be teaching a meditation on the 24th in celebration of the launch of our meditation online work at your pace training. Uh, and it is a level one, so you're going to get a lot of basic intro to tantric meditation information that you can then go out and share in your communities. Um, and, and we'll build on that information into deeper and deeper levels of tantric meditation, uh, as we continue to decide how we want to share that with you. Uh, also, who knows when this is going to happen, but probably sometime in 2022, there's going to be a book coming out and it's going to have all this stuff in it. And you'll get to read it, and you'll get to highlight it, and you'll get to mark it up, and you'll get to get angry about it, and you'll have some email that you can send all your angry critique to, and we can have an amazing conversation that will lead to a second book. But keep your eyes out for that, and um, yeah, thanks for being a part of our community. We couldn't do it without you. We wouldn't want to. Hi, folks. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you would like to access the asana practices affiliated with each episode, please check out our webpage, www.virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast. And take advantage of our online classes, programming, and apparel by using the discount code PODCAST2021, all uppercase letters, to save 20% off everything on our website. That discount code is PODCAST2021, all uppercase. Thanks for listening.